Hey everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of FanRag Sports Premier League Podcast with me, Sebastian Noren, joined by Polly Quistel. Uh, no Elliot today, he's out marooding or marauding uh, in Chicago, I want to say. Yeah, somewhere uh, in the midway. Yeah, so... Uh, midway is Chicago, so... Let's hope he has a good time and that... Is the weather ever nice in Chicago? I don't know. Uh, this time of the year, I, I've heard this time of the year, it could get a little bit windy. Okay. That's why it's called a windy city. Yes. Yes. Okay, cool. So, uh, breaking, sort of breaking news, uh, came out yesterday. Um, the U.S. men's national team decided to fire Jurgen Klinsmann as the coach and the technical director. And we got word today that he's being replaced by Bruce Arena the former U.S. men's national team coach. So bringing back Arena for another stint here with the national team. Uh, Polly, what was your first you know, first thoughts when you saw first that Klinsman got fired, both as coach and the TD, and then you heard that Arena is the one taking over? Um, just a, a long, exasperated sigh when I first heard the news. Uh, and then when it was pretty much confirmed that it was going to be a Bruce Arena, um, it became a uh, it became a four letter word that I won't say here. Okay. I mean, I, I'm just like my brain is like exhausted from all this. I mean, you remember the show last week where Elliot and I, we our, our brains couldn't even process things. They were so exhausted just from dealing with everything. Like the the U.S. team practically killed us last week, yeah. and we couldn't think straight. We couldn't do anything. Uh, the only thing that we could do was pick more games correctly than you, because mm-hmm. yeah. like death taxes and us beating you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was just so. All right, I've. You're not going to find a bigger pro, like a more a bigger Quinsman defender than me, and I even I think the firing was justified. I don't, I won't, I won't say deserved. I'll say justified. Uh, you can definitely justify firing him, especially after he decided to make a an enemy out of everybody last week by saying uh, U.S. fans are not intelligent. You can't do that. You can't say that. I think there's an error, um, there's an element of truth to that statement because I do think that there were a lot of people that were calling for his head who – and not just calling for his head but calling for Bruce Arena to come in and fix things. And those people don't even remember the Bruce Arena era because, well – they weren't watching during yeah. the Bruce Arena era. Yeah, so, we, so should, we should say that he was in charge between 1998 and 2006, uh, took the men's national team to the quarterfinals of the 2002 World Cup. And then crashed out unceremoniously in 2006. Yes. And the U.S. the U.S. team has never won a World Cup game on European soil. Bruce Arena was in charge the last time the World Cup was on European soil. And guess where the next World Cup will be? On European soil. The two in between the Bruce Arena eras were not, so we obviously fared a bit better. I just, Again, whenever someone came up to me and said, let's fire Jurgen Klinsmann, I just went, that's fine with me. I agree. Managerial-wise, he kind of sucks. His tactics are, are bad, and his in-game decisions are puzzling. But name me someone better that's out there, and I'm totally fine with a change 
if you can tell me why he deserves to be fired besides just, you know, tactically he's questionable and who's better, who's better is out there. And is there a long-term plan? And no reason that anybody gave me for why he should be fired really suited. People said the results haven't been there, but the results are there. Uh, Like, I don't care if you lost to Jamaica in Jamaica and I don't care if you lost to Guatemala. If at the end of the day, you still got out of the group in world cup qualifying, the name of the game isn't to win every game. It's to qualify for the world cup. And as long as you do that, you're doing your job by my, by my judgments, as long as you show up and compete in the world cup, which is exactly what happened. Um, for Bruce arena, you know, the arguments when Bruce arena got run out of town, the same criticism was applied to Quinn, to, to Quinsman, people said Quinsman. Well, he changes his formation. He changes his lineup so often. It's so hard to develop any kind of consistency. Bruce Arena did it more often than Quinsman did. So, you know, how how come Bruce gets a pass right now? And and to say that Bruce Arena has experience navigating the hex. I mean, Arena was thirty minutes away from getting eliminated and preliminary qualifying. Mm-hmm. Bruce Arena, yeah, he navigated the hex, but so did Jurgen Quinsman in two thousand thirteen and. Are you really going to tell me that 2005 CONCACAF is on par or even or comparable to 2017 CONCACAF? They're, like, CONCACAF is way better, is way better now than it was then. And, okay, Quinn's been lost two games in a row. First home World, qualifying loss, World Cup qualifying loss since 2001. Who was the manager the last time we lost at home? Bruce Arena. Guess how many games we lost in a row that time? Three. So, like, you know, what exactly makes Bruce Arena the better option than Quinsman? And he's American. He's American. Who And that's also one of my problems is, again, I was okay with a change as long as a long-term solution, a long-term plan was in place because that was Quinsman's thing, long-term. Let's think long-term. And right now the media is is – doing their thing where they're just talking about how an off what an awful guy Quinsman was and how he claimed that he had a long-term plan and long-term vision and how we couldn't really see any of it except for the fact that we could like why do you think Cameron Carter Vickers was on the squad was included in the squad for Mexico and Costa Rica mm-hmm. why was Lyndon Gooch included in the squad for Mexico and Costa Rica um, why was Landon Donovan kicked off the team before the World Cup because Jurgen Quinsman was always thinking about the future. He wasn't just thinking about the next World Cup. He was thinking about the next World Cup and beyond that. And you can argue that we only did as well as we did in the 2014 World Cup because Quinsman was already preparing for 2018. I think if if you if he said, I'm going to take the best possible team that I can take to the 2014 World Cup, Brad Evans, the right back, would have made the team over DeAndre Yedlin because Brad Evans was a really stable right back. But he decided to give the experience to DeAndre Yedlin, who was questionable defensively, but really offered some upside. And DeAndre Yedlin came on against Portugal and is the reason that we drew that game and should have won that game. The reason we drew and didn't win is Michael Bradley. But DeAndre Yedlin changed that game when he came on. John Brooks, who like had played like three other times for the Americans and stunk at all of them, came on, made the team because experience was valuable. He comes on and wins that Ghana game. So because he was thinking ahead, 
that really helped that that really helped the Americans in 2014. Now you're hiring this Bruce Arena guy who, like we said with England, the problem is they're not looking ahead, they're looking back. You know, Sam Allardyce comes in and says, oh, we have defensive issues. Let me see if John Terry can solve those issues. Like, why are we looking backwards? So we're, we're bringing in this Bruce Arena guy whose mandate is, don't think about the future. Think about right now. Think about qualifying for the World Cup and the World Cup. Well, if you don't introduce those young players, if you in, in international soccer, if you ever take your eyes off the future for even a second, that can set you back by years. And we have this really serious issue right now with a defender named Cameron Carter-Vickers, who we've spoken about at length, who guys in the Premier League are really excited about. They think he's going to become great. England is starting to look at him. We've now hired a manager who is already on record saying he doesn't really like players that weren't born in America. And he did we, actually backtrack on that today. He did backtrack on it, but it's he so he's fine with those players, but how actively is he going to go and recruit a player? Mm-hmm. And again, his mandate is don't worry about the future. If Carter Vickers can help you today, play him. If he can't, don't worry about him. That's pretty much his mandate. So Right now, you're now at a risk where instead of using a roster spot and using a substitution on him, which Jurgen Klinsmann should have done, and I think if Carter Vickers ends up playing for England, which there's a very good possibility of, um, I think the biggest failure of Klinsmann's era is going to be not not cap-tying Cameron Carter Vickers. But even if, if we just look past him for the next year and a half, that can end up costing us for 10 years. If Carter Vickers becomes a stalwart in England's defense – that's that's a huge issue for us that you have when you have a manager who doesn't need to look three years into the future. He needs to just look at the now, which is a problem because we're already talking about giving players who were pretty much jettisoned from the national team a new look, like a, a second look. You know, like I get it. Benny Failhaber is a great player. He's having a great time in MLS. Why do we need to reintroduce a 31-year-old into the team? Yeah. Like we have, we have Lyndon Gooch, we have Christian Pulisic. If, look, if Benny Failhaber played Michael Bradley's position, by all means, give him, give him a look, let him have a chance. Like there's a value to, to Sasha Question coming back into the team, but Benny Failhaber is pretty much a number ten. He's a, he's not really a two-way midfielder. He's more of an attacking midfielder, and we have an 18-year-old who's better than him. So why do we need to give him a new look? Yeah. I mean, when we've seen this before, you know, players born in the U.S. that actually ends up playing for a different country. We saw that with Giuseppe Rossi. Right. Nevin and, Subodic. Yeah. So my issue is, you know, like, all right. So say, all right, he uh, agrees with fat. You know, he, he likes to use Fabian Johnson. He likes to use John Brooks. That's by all means good. But how active is he going to be in recruiting a dual national player? Mm-hmm. Um can he, you know, part of the reason that all these guys came to the U.S. is because of the connection that they felt with Quinsman, which it really helps that Quinsman is a guy who isn't American, but loves America. You know, he moved to America and he loves it there or he loves it here. You, uh, you know, what kind of connection can Bruce Arena form with the guy? And there aren't that many on the radar coming through. But I think this one, this next one. Cameron Carter Vickers is probably the most important dual national that we will have since Christian Pulisic, who was, you know, if you're going to look at the the four most important dual nationals of the last four or five years of the Quinsman era, 
it's Fabian Johnson, John Brooks, Christian Pulisic, and Cameron Carter Vickers because that defense spot. When Jeff after this next World Cup, we've already show, we've already seen what happens when Jeff Cameron isn't there. It's a disaster, and you need a new young guy that could step in and be that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you think Arena has evolved since leaving the U.S. the last time? I mean, he he was in charge for the New York Red Bulls between 2006 2007, and then he spent eight years with ALA Galaxy. He wins. He wins in the MLS. I can't really speak for how how much he's evolved um you know he managed david beckham he's managed landon donovan he's managed robbie Keane. he's he's managed steven jard so he's managed some he's managed some really good players and he's won with them and i i'm not off the top of my head i can't tell you exactly who's won the mls cup but i'm pretty sure houston has uh I'm, i think seattle's won one no the they teams, have not oh they have not no Okay, well, the teams that make the high-profile signings, like the Red Bull with Thierry Henry, uh, NYCFC, you know, those teams, they haven't seemed to win. So Bruce Arena seems to be the only one that's actually won with the superstars. That's a good plan. What I don't like is, similar to what U.S. Soccer did by looking backwards to Bruce Arena, when when the LA Galaxy needed a push this year, instead of looking into his to his youth and seeing what kind of kids he can bring up, which we've seen numerous. I mean, how many times have we seen in Europe a team down the stretch gives a debut to a kid who helps them down the stretch? Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of doing that, find, trying to find the spark, his solution was, let me call Landon Donovan, who hasn't played in a year and a half. Do you think Landon Donovan could actually be on the radar for the national team if he keeps playing? I think Arena's smart enough to know to not do that. Do you think um, do you think Jossie Sardis is going to be back in the fold? Okay. So my friend brought this up to me today. He said, we're going to see a lot more Jossie Sardis. And of course we are. But I will say that Jossie Sardis was also a Jurgen Klinsmann favorite and started a lot of games when it was like, why is he still starting? Mm-hmm. So he's like, Klinsmann, uh, Zardes, Altidore, Bradley were just like the three people that you couldn't get rid of, and to an extent, Ali Bedoya, but like Bedoya at least sometimes got dropped. It seemed to be whenever Zardes or Altador or Bradley were fit, they started. So I think, yeah, he's going to be back in the mix, but at the same time, it, he would have been back in the mix anyway. But I'm wondering, too, if Arena's going to use him more as a... Because I could see him playing with Bobby Wood if they, if they want to play two up front. But... Uh, I mean, that works. They both stretch the field. Look, if I'm fine with using Zardis for his speed and his pace. The issue that I have is, one, having a, a, a striker that stretches the field to allow Altidore all that space is just a waste because mm-hmm. Altidore can't use that space. Two is, if Quint Dempsey's healthy, I still want him on the field yeah. because there's as old as he gets, whenever the games count, he still scores. True. And until he stops doing that, he has a place on this team. We'll see how Arena picks his first squad. Next qualifying games are in March. In his opening press conference, and I don't read too much in opening press conferences because you always say the right things. Lip service. He did say the team would look similar to the previous camps. So that gives me a little bit of hope. But again, the last thing I want is Cameron Carter Vickers lining up in an England shirt for the next 10 years, which is very, very well could happen because, uh, 
who's to say that England don't go after Mr. Jurgen? Mm, they might. We'll and Jurgen can easily bring Carter Vickers over. The question is, does Jurgen have the stones to drop Wayne Rooney? Uh, yes. I believe so. He might, but uh, mm. that's just that's the one that's the one player that I'm just I'm 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 afraid of. I'm afraid that that's going to get away, and Jurgen just should have cap tied him in that last game. Yep. Cap time, and then don't use him for another year if you don't want to. But at least put him on the books. Yep. True. 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 Well, let's move over to the Premier League and uh, what happened over the weekend. It started off with a one-one draw between Manchester United and Arsenal. Um, oh God, I almost forgot about that. At this oh point. yeah. Yeah. It was a um, one-nothing lead for United in the sixty-eight minute. Juan Mata with the goal, and then with Arsenal's first attempt on goal in the 89th minute, Olivier Giroud tied things up and saved a point for Arsenal. So, uh, tough break for United. And but I, is it? I think they were the better team. I really do. They were the better team because Arsenal played scared the whole game. Yeah. So, I so, mean, and the manner of conceding that late, yeah, it stinks. It feels more like a loss. But it's not so... Uh, this wouldn't feel like a loss if we didn't invite Arsenal to do it. Yeah, but it's their first attempt on goal. Right. But, and well, it's Giroud. All right. Yeah. With I a header. Like, in, in theory, he should have headed that wide. Yes. Um, we invited this upon ourselves. We said against Manchester City that Jose Mourinho got things drastically wrong in the first half. Um, he was forced into using a good formation today uh, against Arsenal because Ibrahimovic was suspended and he started Rashford up top and he had Martial on the left wing. And guess what? We looked dangerous. Like, we didn't do much with it, but we looked dangerous. It it seemed refreshing to have a, a striker that went out and chased balls down behind the defense, you know, just stretched out the defense. The problem is where the attacks came from. Uh, Hector Bellerin was hurt. So who was starting for Arsenal at right back? Carl Jenkinson. Who hasn't played, who hadn't started the game in the Premier League in what, two and a half years for Arsenal? Yeah, he's been out on loan. He's been injured. So yeah. Two and a half years. I don't know. Like, you're a smart guy. Like, I feel like when someone like that has to start their first game, in a pretty high stakes game, wouldn't if you're the manager, wouldn't you say let's test him? Yes, punish him. Yes. So what did United do? They attacked exclusively down the right side, and Anthony Martial could have put out a beach chair yep. for the amount of times he saw the ball. And then in the second half, we come out, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, we have this Anthony Martial guy. They have this right back who, you know, can't play right back. And we attacked, and we looked really good. So what was the response? Whoa. You know, Mourinho said, whoa, 15 minutes in, this is getting a little intense. Let me remove Martial from the game and bring on Wayne Rooney so we lose the pace down that left side. I mean, like, what are you doing? How do you not? That should have been your attack from the start. Instead of, yeah, you mix in some long balls that Rashford will chase down, but instead of sending them towards the right corner, you send them towards the left corner. And when he gets there or just anybody else, you know, you use use Martial, just test the hell out of this right back. And we didn't do that. And in the second half, when we started to do that, we bring on Rooney to negate any of the pace that we did have. I mean, really? And then 
we get that one goal, and what, is, what does he do? Wenger sends on a striker. Um, who did we bring on second? Uh, second on was Daily Blint. For okay, Darmian. so that was necessary. That yeah. was necessary. And then we removed Mata for, for Morgan Schneider. Yeah, for the last five minutes to close things down. Did not work. Well, what do, what do I always say? This this is right out of the book of Sir Alex Ferguson management is when you bring on a defensive player to hold on to your one goal lead, now we can send an extra attacking player forward because we know that's one less player to worry about coming back the other way. Yeah. And and it's not even that because United went up 1-0 and stopped attacking right away. Mm-hmm. Even with Mata on the field, they stopped attacking. They said one's enough. And yeah, Arsenal were playing like absolute crap. But there is way too much talent in that side to just say, hey, one goal's enough and we're just, we're just going to, that's it. We're yeah. going to stop. And I mean, if you look at the substitutions they made too, they brought on Giroud for Elneny. They brought in Jaka right. for so, Coquelin and so, Chamberlain for Jenkinson. So right there, what that did was Aaron Ramsey's now slotted into the middle. So now you have a more attacking player than Elneny in the middle. You have Alexis in his natural position. Ozil in his natural position, a more dangerous striker with size than Alexis. And then you bring on Jaka, who is more attacking than Coquelin. Yeah. So, you know, like if the sometimes it's just like, you know what, why don't we just keep playing the game the way the way we were playing? We were attacking, 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 but we also had all of the ball. So if you have all of the ball, then you don't have to worry about Arsenal scoring. So why don't you just keep attacking, maybe get that second goal, or maybe you don't, but if the game is still being played in front of Arsenal's goal, at least you're at least they're not going to come back down and score. I think they just took their foot right off the gas. And look, this is I said it after the game. I said Arsenal certainly did not deserve a point in that game, but Manchester United didn't deserve three. Yeah, they gifted them a point basically. And part of it is we, you know, we were joking around about it before the show. Wenger's Mar- uh, never beaten Mourinho, and. In like the 80th minute, they were bringing it up. You know, the last time, you know, Arsenal still never target. The last time that they didn't have a shot on target was like a year and a half ago when they played against Jose Mourinho's Chelsea. Like, do you not think maybe this is why you never beat Jose Mourinho? Maybe like if your tactics included try shooting, you would score a few goals and beat. At this point, it's like it's in it's in Wenger's head. Like, dude, come on, just like at least try. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see how it goes in the reverse. Like, picture. we aren't playing that well this year. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. Yeah, we said it was a good. We said it was a good opportunity to play United at this point. So, I mean, what are the numbers in the last like three home games? We've outshot opponents like sixty-seven to six, and the aggregate score has been two-two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, neighbors, Manchester City. They took a two-to-one win on the road against Crystal Palace. Let me Palace. just throw in. Yes. That was our first time we've drawn three straight home games. Since 1992, and if if Mourinho was being was had to deal with U.S. fans, they would be calling for his head right now the same way that they called for Jurgen's head after yeah. losing to yes. two games in a row or oh, yes. some BS like that. Yep, uh, what a joke he's turned this club into. Yeah, City they took a two to one win over Crystal Palace after two goals by Yaya Toure in his first game of this league game of this season. So, like, what prompted them to play Yaya? I mean, he did apologize. Apologize for what? For the things his uh, agent said. But that's his. But that shouldn't be held against him anyway. Uh, hey, it's Pep. 
Right, and that's that's the thing. Like, Yaya, like Pep didn't like Yaya the first time. You know, he's not going to like Yaya the second time. This isn't like a Juan Mata situation. No. I mean, Yaya, Yaya doesn't fit Pep's style, and he wasn't really going to be given a shot, and he wasn't given a shot, but then all of a sudden he just randomly is. I just I, I, I mean it's why. I yes it's weird. Um I want is this like a we're going to show him off and like hope that we could sell him in January? Maybe cuz I mean they had Silva on the bench, they had Fernando on the bench. Um I just I would like it because the more Yaya Toure we get, uh the better it is for everybody else because he's going to have his games where he just doesn't show up and he's terrible and it costs city points. Yeah. Well, it did earn them three points against Palace. Yeah, it earned them so points, sure. but like, let's be honest, they should have beaten Crystal Palace anyway. Yes, that they should have done. So, but it's also going to cause them to drop points. Yeah, so they stay in third place. Uh, Everton, Swansea, one-one, still no win for Bob Bradley. Uh, they blew that late, didn't they? Yeah, same as Coleman, 89th minute, tied it up. Uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson had given them the lead on a penalty in the first half. So Bradley's still looking for that first win. Uh, we each picked a scoreless game uh, when we did our predictions before the weekend. And we did have a scoreless game, but it was not the one that we thought. It was Damn. Southampton nil, Liverpool it's, nil. It certainly wasn't my game, which featured a goal within 60 seconds. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Southampton nil, Liverpool nil. Uh, good job by Southampton again, defensively. Uh, really, I mean, I think Liverpool had three shots on target. So they did a good job defensively. And, you know, if you're Southampton and you're going up against one of the big five, let's call them big five. Um, I'm not counting United in right now. So wait, who are we counting? Chelsea, Liverpool, City, Arsenal, Spurs. We're counting Spurs? Yeah, the top five. Let's say you just call them top five. Top five. So Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, getting a draw, that's fine, really. Yeah, and that's what they... That was a good play. Yeah. I mean, Southampton have, they have a stingy defense. Uh, they do score at St. Mary's, which they didn't do. But I don't, you can't complain. I mean, look, holding a team that's been routinely scoring between four and six goals yeah. to nothing, you can't complain about that. No. Absolutely. I did also, when I checked my fantasy team, I did realize, or I did see that I had picked up Coutinho. So I probably have something to do with that. Good job. Yes. Yeah. Gotta, I got to help out any way yep. that I can. Exactly, exactly. Then Bournemouth, they took a one nothing win on the road against Stoke. Uh, Nathan Aki with the lone goal in that one. And um, Boyan Kukic missed a penalty for Stoke in the second half. So good for Bournemouth, bad for Stokey. They uh, slipped down to 13th place. Speaking of Boyan Kukic, now. you know what I always say when we bring up Boyan Kukic? No. You don't? I mean, I say it every time. I don't remember. First player to play in the Champions League that was born in the 90s. Oh. So today, we had our first player to play in the Champions League that was born in the 2000s. Oof. As someone came on for Juventus, which you would think should be like 10 years after Kirkic did it, but like Kirkic came on in the semifinals of the 2008 Champions League, and this is only eight years later. He did it as an 18-year-old, mm. and this was only eight years later. So we're looking at like a 16-year-old now. Makes me feel old. Yeah. Like, yeah, dude. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Then Sunderland. Yeah, like I felt yes. old when when I saw Kirkich, who's my age, playing in the chair. When I came home from high school one day, and put on United and Barcelona in the Champions League fi- semifinal, and Boyan Kirkich trots on in the field. Yeah. And then but you're wondering why am I not a 18 year old soccer pro? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't wondering because I probably had just gotten back from my soccer practice and picked the ball out of my own net a million times. So. <laughs> Okay, then uh, Sunderland took a 3-0 win over Hull. So that's uh, two wins in a row for Sunderland. What did I say? I said Jermaine Defoe. Yep, Defoe got one goal and uh, Victor Anichebi turns out to be a pretty good pickup for them. Two goals for him. So they are now only trailing West Ham, who are in 17th place on safe ground by three points. And they have a better goal difference than they, they do. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sunder, like, in two weeks, Sunderland just got themselves like into safety contention. Yeah. Uh, Hall Boys is, is turning things around by virtue of just having a really easy schedule right now. <laughs> and picking up one of his former strikers in Anichebe that he had at Everton. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, it's funny because when... when Tottenham and, and like Everton routinely used to battle it out for fifth and sixth place. It was Defoe and Anichimi that led them. So, yeah. I mean, he wasn't a goal machine by any stretch of the imagination at Everton. I think, no. you know, I'm, did he, let's see, I got to double check real quick. Yeah, he only had 18 league goals and 131 appearances. 18 goes in 100. Yeah, he seemed like he was just like your Emil Heskey. And now the guy he, that was just on the field. And now he has three goals in four games. Yeah, look at that. So, look at that. Yeah. For a manager that's not known for like churning out attacking players. Yeah. So Hull, their free fall continues. Um, they, yeah, they're in 18th place. They got 10 points, but their goal difference is negative 17 now. By far the worst in the league. So we'll see if Mike Phelan can I, – I, I feel like they're doomed now too, though. Oh, um, yeah, they're, yeah, they're screwed. Yeah. Watford took a 2-1 to one win over Leicester City. So Leicester, they stay in 14th place. They're still only two points above the relegation zone. But, hey, they're in the Champions League uh, knockout rounds. Yeah, what, so that's the question. That's really the big question. What happens – when uh, Leicester, when they win, when, like, they'll win no, the Champions like, League and no, uh, when, get relegated. When, no, what do they do? What do they do in December and January when like the Champions League isn't a distraction for them? Are they going to pick it up and start accumulating points because they're they're clearly two different teams and they've made it obvious that like in the game before the Champions League they're going to rest their players for the Champions League, yeah. which they no longer have to worry about doing because they're into the next round so they can forget about that last game. So what are, you know, what happens when it's not a distraction? Are they going to all of a sudden turn things around and start picking up points or do they just, you know, not care is the mandate like, yeah, just we're going to enjoy the Champions League, we're going to give it a run and as long as you stay in the Premier League like we're fine. I think you they'll, know, they'll they'll start picking up some more points. But I mean, we've already said they're going to I mean, if There's they finish mid-table, it's a good season for them. 
Right. And, and there's also like, you know, we'll, maybe we'll do this every other year thing. Like there's a, we'll gear up for a run next year because there's a certain element in today's day and age in today's age of the Premier League where, yeah, they say it's the squad era, but now with all the, you know, with all the positional, um, specifics in like your position, you can't rotate your squad the way that Sir Alex Ferguson used to just pluck players in and out of his squad you know, left and right. You can't really do that anymore. It's now like, it's now you have distinct first choice players and and guys that you got to figure out how to get in and you can only put them in in one or two spots. Um, not only that, but the rest of the league is stronger. So if you feel the weakened team in the Premier League, you're going to pay for it as mm-hmm. Leicester is, is finding out. But there's a certain element of not having to play at all in Europe that really benefits you these days in the league. And look at, I mean, look at who the top two teams in the league are. Yep. Chelsea and Liverpool, neither of which are playing in Europe. Yep. Correct Mundo. But I think they'll start pick up some points now that they're safe in the Champions League. And then, care. and then, I mean, you know, we'll see. I mean, they're they're hoping for the best possible draw, of course, so they can go as far as possible. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see what kind of damage the foxes can do in Europe. Uh, they are, I mean, they're a team that remember they. If you do have to say negative something negative about them, they last year did rely heavily on fouling players at the back. Their, their defenders played very physical. Yes. There was some grabbing. There's this and that. And the Premier League is trying to crack down on that this year. You can get away with it more in the Champions League, and that might go to explain a little bit as to why their defending is they're almost. I mean, they gave up a goal today, but that was the first one. Yeah, I mean, I tend to feel like the referees in Europe are a bit more strict. You tend to, except like you know, did you see the guy stamp Harry Kane today? No. Uh, did you see? I mean, no, I did not catch. The, I feel uh, like there's a lot of questionable things that that don't go, yeah. that don't get called in the in the Champions League. And if you remember, Sir Alex used to to bitch and moan every single year, every single game that his players weren't protected enough. There's a lot of physicality that doesn't get called. Mm-hmm. And you know, my my friend who's a Spurs fan was bitching about it today and, and i was just like hey you know welcome to an away game in the champions league you know it's it's kind of like playing away in Concacaf. like it's it's not easy to win and there's some horrible refereeing yep speaking of spurs they took a 3-2 win over west ham in the derby over the weekend harry kane with two late goals for the win there then they suffered a loss to monaco in the champions league so they're out yeah oh god that yeah um sorry I was spacing out and I was I was reading something. It's it's bad for Spurs and they just haven't gotten going this season. And part of that's injuries. You know, Toby Alderworld's injury hurts them, not necessarily from a goals conceded standpoint, but from an everything else standpoint. They were at their best last year when Eric Dyer and Musa Dembele we're playing in the midfield and you had that pivot to get from defending to the attack just like that. Eric Lamella is more of an issue than people want to let on when he, and it sucks to ever rely on Eric on Eric Lamella cuz he's very inconsistent but when he's good, Spurs are a different team. Like when he's having a good game, 
they are a completely different team. And then there's just Harry Kane. He's been injured, and when he's been healthy, he just hasn't been the same. Yeah, and don't get me started on that Delhi guy replacing the Ali guy. Like, yeah. just change the name on the back of your shirt so you can get back to the way you, to the way you were. <laughs> well, uh, then they got a tough game coming up on Saturday against Chelsea. So, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll talk. I mean, about- that's yeah, and you're you're looking at shorthandedness. There, they're going to be shorthanded um, on the back. They're forced to play Wimmer and Dyer at the back right now. Like this is. They they hate the fact that if you talk to a Spurs fan about last year, they'll and you talk to them about Leicester and they're like they got so lucky they they didn't get injuries. Well, Tottenham barely got injuries either because at no point were they ever required to start Wimmer and Dyer, and they're showing how poor that is when they have to do that. And also, Victor Wanyama is just he has not been the signing that they hoped he would be. Yeah. But mm-hmm. what do I know about that? I'm a I'm a United fan and. I can never say that the signing hasn't been what it's hope, what I've hoped he would be, other than the four signings or three of the four signings we made this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it really, too, though, when Deli Ali got suspended, things sort of fell apart for them, and it, I feel like that's that's definitely I mean, a weakness, though, because I mean, he was what nineteen. The game, the game against Chelsea, yeah. Dembele getting a six-game suspension. They felt the effects of that into this season. Mm-hmm. So it, it's so much of that just stemmed from last year from being young and now being unable to recap that magic yep Mm -hmm. we'll see how they fare chelsea then on sunday uh, the lone game on sunday chelsea won middlesbrough nil so uh, i mean good on middlesbrough for keeping the score line down i guess but pretty uh, we were pretty convinced that chelsea was going to roll on so they are now our League leaders. We were convinced Chelsea were going to roll on. They did. They did. Middlesbrough, though, have been good. They were unbeaten in three. That included wins against... Uh, that included that, that included not losing to Arsenal and not losing to City. Um, so... Yeah, but I mean, we, you they're know, on pace. We, we were picking more against... We picked that more against, like, well, Arsenal and City aren't the greatest teams right now even though Arsenal were actually playing on fire going into that Middlesbrough match. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm attributing this more to just Chelsea getting back from the international break. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean Middlesbrough, they're on pace uh, right now for about 34, 35 points. Yeah. And uh, Sunderland are bad. I, I just – I think Sunderland's wins right now were a tribute to schedule favor, the favor of the schedule. Yeah. Um, I think they'll still be just equally pretty terrible. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, Diego Costa with lone goal of that one, and uh, he's been on fire. Ten goals so far. Who's this? Diego Costa. Yeah, he's been on fire. And uh, conversely, you know, who has not been on fire, Al- Alvaro Nagredo, has been pretty terrible. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Then Monday game. A high-scoring game for West Bromwich standard. They beat Burnley 4 nothing at home. And, uh, yeah, I could be the second-highest win of this season for them. West Brom? Yes. It was like a – yeah, no one really saw this coming. And, unfortunately, no one in America saw this game because U.S. soccer decided to fire Jurgen Quinsman smack in the middle of this 
blockbuster as it's funny. I, remember how I brought this up the other day, the ratings and how they're dropping in America and, you know, picking these games to go in certain situations, like to be in the prime time game. And the men and boys were all over this, you know, like, Oh, Monday night football. And we're got the blockbuster of West Brom versus Burnley. I mean, mm. no one's trying to watch that game at work while your boss isn't working and while your boss isn't looking. That's for sure. Yeah. No, it's their biggest win of the season. Their highest scoring game was the 4-2 win over West Ham. Yeah. Uh, Burnley can't play away from home. I, nope. What else do you want me to say? Yeah, I no, that's totally <laughs> true. Uh, so Burnley, if you look a little bit at the table, West Brom up to ninth. They're two points behind Watford and three points behind Manchester United and Everton. Bournemouth up to 10th place now, and then Southampton down to 11th, Burnley down to 12th, and Stoke in 13th. And now Swansea are at the bottom of the table. Yeah, they gotta... Dude, they need to figure their their stuff out. Yep. Yeah, Bradley's gotta do something quick here. I mean, I mean you know... I mean, at this, at this point, Bradley... You know, we'll probably have a new job in 2018 managing the U.S. if we're just going to keep recycling coaches. Yeah. Hey, who knows? Who knows? You know who, as I said to my friends who say, you know, this might, you know, be a short-term move and then in 2018 see who's available, figure out a long-term solution. And I said it to him, you know who's going to be available in 2018? I just have a feeling you know who's going to be available? Jose Mourinho. You bet it. You got it. And my friend actually thinks Jose Mourinho would be a good fit for the U.S. And no. this is one of the reasons why I can't take him seriously. Yeah, that's no. I mean, how is he going to manage a team when he can't when he just he can't spend one hundred fifty million dollars just for the right to be like, well, I have thirty million dollars just sitting on my bench over there. Yeah. And then, honestly, I mean, I'm already getting a bit tired of his way of handling players in the media too i mean i was tired of it always well, fun to it, did, it didn't really concern me when i didn't really care about the team he was managing right but i i liked watching him lose and then trying to squirm out his way out of it i mean like dude just have some self-awareness have take something you know take the blame for something yeah. there's a there's a saying in in this American football, you know, when, when you win, it's because of the players. And when you lose, it's because of the coach and whether or not that's true, it goes a long way for a coach who coaches in the NFL have probably a little bit better job security than premier league coaches because premier league coaches get fired inside of the season all the time, but not much better. It just, it helps right away when, you go out there and you take accountability, you know, when you lost the game and you say, well, we obviously didn't game plan hard enough. And, you know, we didn't execute. That is, right. well, no, Oh, I got to hate that. We didn't execute. That's putting it on the players. Yeah. That's putting it on the players. It's, we didn't put the position. We didn't put the players in a position to execute properly. Yeah. That's putting it on the coach versus when, when you come out there as a, as a coach and you say, well, we did a, we did a great job because we had such a great game plan. And as you could see, uh, the players, all they did, the players, all they did was execute a game plan. That's not going to go over well. And like with Mourinho, it's always about him. Hmm. It's, it's, it's always about him and it's not about him when he loses. You know, we won because I'm brilliant and we lost because the players couldn't see to my brilliance. Like, like come on. Yeah. Hmm. But, yeah, Bob Bradley, though, he needs to get some things going here. At least keep them sort of in the hunt 
for safety at least and then you know go out in january and see if you can find something in the bargain bin i mean again well yeah that's huge one that's huge two is how many points are they how many points back are they uh from safety i want to say five let me double check real quick so again yeah five points keep them in the hunt buy time develop your team and then you know a late season run is all you need this isn't you're not competing for the championship where you need to be the best team all year round. You're competing for we need to not be the worst. Yeah. And and that's that's a really low bar to set. And look, that's just keep the pace. You know, it's it's it, it's like running a race, you know, keep keep the pace and then at the end you make your move. Yeah, and I mean we've seen Leicester, they crawled out of a hole two seasons ago. Yeah, <laughs> we've seen it done before. We've seen it done before, and oddly, it's one of those things where we're seeing it done more often now than it used to be done. Well, uh, we'll see what we think Swansea are going to do in their next game when we talk to you guys again later in the week. We'll preview match day 13. We'll probably talk more about the U.S. men's national team as well, as hopefully Elliot will be with us again. Until then, you can always follow us on Twitter, I'm Seb Noren. Paul is P Questel W F A N. Elliot is Keats was better, and then follow FanRag Sports as well. So until next time, have a good one. Bye.